0: Thank you, uh, Pete. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's so nice to be with you guys. Uh, it, it genuinely is, and I'm supposed to say that when you, when you get up and speak, but it genuinely is really nice. <laughs> To be with you guys, I I flew down um, on Friday, and I've been staying uh, over the last couple of days. And I've just loved being able to spend time with you and those of you guys who were able to come out and be uh, here for some of the training yesterday. uh, You're just all so encouraging. You're all really, really, really warm and really friendly, and uh, and I just feel that love that you guys have. I'm sure it's not just for me. Um, but you just, as a church, as a community, you just, you do seem to have something of God's heart, and I just want to uh, commend you for that this morning, to encourage you in that, and, and uh, just right at the start this morning, I was just uh, reflecting on that 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 heart that you have, that warm heart, and, and almost kind of had a, a, a picture of like a, a briar, like a fire pit um, that people are drawn to, and it's that warmth. That draws people to it, and I just thought, thought that that was maybe a picture uh, from God for you as a church that that you guys, with this just this warmth that you carry, this encouragement that you carry, would draw people in, and they would be able to see the light of Jesus through what you do. So, um, so yeah, I really am encouraged to be with you guys. Uh, for those of you who weren't here yesterday, I'll, I'll introduce myself properly. My name is Matt um i'm uh, originally from wales but i live and um, work in manchester been there for 16 years i um, work for a charity called the message trust which is all about sharing the love of jesus with people who don't know him whether that's uh, going into schools or going into prisons or going into the worst and broken communities uh we just find whatever way we can to share the love of god with people and we're passionate about doing that i'm uh i'm passionate about doing that it's 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 my heart, it's my ministry, it's my makeup, it's what what I'm built for. And it's what you're built for too, is to share that love and that heart of God with people who don't know God. And um, so it's been a real privilege to be able to kind of come and bring some of that experience and and share some of those stories um, with you as a church. And it's a joy to be able to come and speak to you this morning as well. Um, Having said all that. Uh, I'm also—I'm fairly human. Most of me, I think, is still human, and uh, like all humans, uh, we do uh, sometimes try and do things in our own strength, don't we? Uh, I don't know if that's a bad quality or it's just part of human nature. But we, we do sometimes just tend to do things in our own strength, and I don't know—I don't know about you, but um, have you ever got yourself into those situations where you're, you're so far into something? That you're uh, you're stubbornly like, well, I've got this far. I'm going to just keep on going, even though you know that probably the sensible thing is to turn back. Uh, I got myself into one of those situations last night. Uh, I thought it would be a really wise idea in in the lashing rain to go out and have a little walk. I find that's a good place for me to kind of pray and focus. And uh, so I went for a walk in the rain last night. And. Uh, and I was just kind of like every every step I took, I was kind of looking around and just being like, "Oh, this is wonderful! This is beautiful!" And every time I took my eyes off where I was meant to be going, I seemed to find at that moment the biggest puddle that there was <laughs> to find, or the biggest pile of mud. And uh, and in my in my arrogant stupidity, my my self kind of confidence, I even at one point I, I found a. a A path along the canal, along a river, something like that, and uh, and it was the worst choice that I made, all night, and I kind of walked down this path, and it got muddier and muddier, and I was like, oh, I really should turn back now, but, you know, when you've kind of, you've stepped in so many puddles that your your socks are just seeping up, and the water, and I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep going now, I'm here, I'll just keep going, and every time I made that decision to keep going... Sure enough, I found another puddle that was worse than the one before or a bigger pile of mud that was there before. And, and I mean, to be honest, I had a great time because <laughs> I love doing that. I love going out and experiencing things like that. But but it just reminds me again that that sometimes we do things that we think are a really good idea and there's often lots of indications along the way that it really isn't a good idea. And yet we just plow on, don't we? We just keep going and we keep going and we keep going, and till until we're in, thankfully not last night, but sometimes we end up so knee deep in mud, so knee deep in the mess that we 've created around ourselves that you kind of look around and go, "How on earth did I ever end up in this situation?" and um, I, I want to tell you where, where I want to land uh, this morning just It's not a surprise, there's no, there's no hidden secrets in this message. We want to land it in, in getting us to a place where we just realising and remembering and acknowledging and maybe for some of us, just coming back to that place of realising we can't do anything in our own strength. That's worth doing, at least. But it's only when we come and we position ourselves at the foot of the cross and when we fall in the loving arms of our Father and we look to Him for our guidance and our strength and our hope, that's when we can really make a difference, that's when we can really go out and do things that are worthwhile, and even if we find ourselves in the middle of all sorts of difficult situations, we know we're doing it in God's strength. And I want us to kind of get to that place of just remembering, because sometimes I feel like we get ourselves, uh, or even just in our Christian walk, we think that sometimes we call out to God as a last resort scenario. Like we will suffer for a little bit in a situation, um, but, you know, it's kind of, oh, I can, I, can, I can take this much and I can just push through this little bit. But, but when it gets worse and it gets worse and you find yourself knee deep in mess, you realize, oh no, probably should have cried out to God by now. Well, why, why do we sometimes do that when really what we should be doing is right from the first moment just crying out to God and saying, God, where do you want me in this right now? Maybe it is that you want me to walk into this difficult situation and you're going to carry me through that. Maybe it's to just, I need to flee right from the start. Not to be so arrogant to think that I can walk into these scenarios in my own strength. God, what do you want me to do? And I want us to, uh, to have that sense that we have a good Father who loves us and wants the best for us. And if we, if we constantly make God our first response instead of our last resort, imagine how different some of the situations we find ourselves in could be, and ultimately how much more effective we can be for God when he is our first response, not our last resort. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I grew up in, in a small town, smaller than this, in the middle of Wales, and um, when I was growing up, uh, there wasn't a lot to do. Um, and so, for a good night out, we used to have to go uh, to the next town on. And uh, one of the one of the things you had to realise, as kind of 17, 18 year old growing up, when you went to the next town on, and that's where the the, the parties were and, and the, the the nightclubs were. They weren't really nightclubs, but to a to, to a small village boy, they were. And um, one of the one of the things you had to realise is that if you went and did that, uh, there was no way of getting home. And I was just like, well, this is what we're going to do. At the end of the night, 1 o'clock in the morning, you've you've been out partying. You're going to have to do a seven-mile hike across the hills to get back. And that was just something you had to accept <laughs> if you wanted to have a good time uh, in that way. I wasn't necessarily fully walking with the Lord at that time. Uh, and uh, I got myself into one of those scenarios. Friday night, went out to the next town, had a great time with my friends, and uh, and got to the point where it was like seven-mile hike. Got to get ready for this. And then one of my friends says, Do you know what? I've got a car. and I, I live in another town even further away. And why don't we all come back to my town and we'll just carry on partying over there. And of course, the bright side of me went, yeah, sure, sounds like a great plan. So we went in the car and we went to this next town. I didn't know really where it was or, or how far away from home I was getting myself. And, and to cut a long story short, what I found myself in it was a situation. We didn't go to my friend's house, which is where I thought we'd go and where we'd stay. We ended up going somewhere else. We ended up going to somebody's house I've never met before. Um, people ended up uh, kind of going off and doing all sorts of things. And before I knew it, I found myself back on the street in a town that I didn't know in a place I didn't know where it was and with no money and no way of getting home. And I would kind of, it was one of... those you look in those moments, it was probably 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm wandering the streets in an unfamiliar place and going, how did I get myself here? I was having fun. <laughs> I was just enjoying myself. How did I get myself here in this mess? And how on earth am I going to get out of it? Well... Thankfully, just so you don't think that that's the end of the story, obviously, I'm, I'm still here. I'll find, find my way home eventually. Um, this was a days, even before we had mobile phones, so uh, I managed to walk around eventually until I found one of those old red uh, phone boxes. Uh, I'd been clever enough to remember that you could reverse charge if you <laughs> called the... If you and so I reverse called my, my parents' home, and uh, my dad picked up, having said, you know, accept this call, and I just was able to say, Dad... I need you to come and get me. He says, where are you, son? I was in Raider. I knew the name of the town. I'm in Raider. He said, I'll be there in half an hour. And hung the phone up. And I just had to sit on the side of the road by the payphone, waiting for all of the wrath (laughs) and the punishment (laughs) and the disappointment and and the sense of guilt that mounted up in me. They think, oh, I've dragged him out of bed. He's on his way. I'm going to have to face this, but there's no other way. And sure enough, my dad did come and he turned up and he opened the car door and he let me get in. And I sat feeling incredibly guilty and trying not to look him in the eye. And, uh, and we drove off. And I was waiting for him to say, like, well, explain to me what on earth has happened. Um, but all my dad said was, uh, when I was like, I kind of saying, thank you for picking me up, I'm really sorry for waking you up, all my dad said, uh, and was pretty much the total of the whole conversation was, I'm just glad that you knew you could phone me, oh, isn't my dad lovely, <laughs> he's a great dad, you all think he's wonderful, there was another story when I went home from university, my parents had moved house and I didn't know where they lived, so they're not that wonderful, but for this story, he was a lovely dad. Why am I telling this story? Why am I talking about walking in mud and getting stuck in towns? Because what I want to talk to you about is the fact that we have, all of us, a Father in heaven who loves us, who doesn't care about the mess. Doesn't care about how much mud you might have on your shoes before they let you into the car. Doesn't care about how late it is at night. We've got a Father in heaven who doesn't care about all the sin and all the baggage and all of the, all of the things that we've done wrong, whether it's historical stuff or whether it's stuff we did just yesterday and where we messed up again because we tried to do it in our own strength. We have a Father who loves us irrespective of everything that we've done and everything we're ever going to do. And he just wants us to know. That he's always going to be there for us. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what the hour, we can always call on our Heavenly Father. And he's always going to be there. Because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his Son to die for us and made a way for us. And that's so precious to know. And I just want us to... Just to dwell in that and remind ourselves on that and be encouraged by that this morning. So, shall we read um, uh, the story which tells this so so well from Luke 15? Uh, I'm sure you know the story of the prodigal son. uh, Where Jesus demonstrates to his hearers this same love that the father has for every single one of them. And it's a a beautiful story and it's often told, uh, I'm sure you've heard from it many times, the story of the prodigal son, the the younger brother and all that he did and and sometimes we even talk about the older brother and all that he did and we can identify with those characters in the story. But I'm really interested this morning to dig into the father in the story. Tim Keller is an amazing preacher who I love listening to and he Talks about this uh, this parable really should be called the parable of the loving father because that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. And so uh, let's uh, let's just read um, Luke fifteen together and uh, and really just delve into how this shows us how how loving the father is. Uh, Luke fifteen. Right at the start of Luke fifteen, it's just important to give it that context. Verse one. Uh, it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable and he tells them the parable of the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin and then he gets into the third parable which is uh, the parable of the lost son. And you know it must be important that Jesus is trying to get a point across here. Because he's told the story three times. But reading from verse 11, it says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth. In wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He, no long, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food Despair, And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion... For him, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! When he came near to the house and he heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because of him, because he has him back safe and sound. And the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the story ends there and we don't actually know what happens to the older brother, whether he joined the party or not. It's a bit of a, bit of a cliffhanger ending. What's happened? Does he do it? Does he, does he see the right way to do it? We don't know. But what I love about this story is is the heart that the Father demonstrates. Jesus is telling this story because the tax collectors and the sinners, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees, they were gathered around and they're basically looking at Jesus and going, why are you hanging out with people who are sinners? Why are you hanging out with the people who have basically made all the wrong choices in life and don't deserve anything of the love and the grace and the kindness that you're showing them? And Jesus' point in telling this story is to tell them, look, I'm only doing what the Father does. I'm only acting the way the Father acts. His understanding of the Father is that the Father is loving and the Father is accepting and the Father is welcoming. And I want all of you to understand that it doesn't matter what His children do, the Father's going to love them. It doesn't matter if they're sinners. It doesn't matter if they're tax collectors. It doesn't matter if you're a a, a rule follower. The Father's going to love all the same. His love isn't conditional of your actions. Don't you see? He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he made you. He loves you because you're his. And he wants to be in relationship. And as we look through the story, and we can uh, can spend a long time just kind of going through this piece by piece talking about all the amazing things that the father does. We'll try and just draw a couple of them out for you right now. This father, we have to understand that the, the context that this is written in, the, the setting, the time that this is written in, the father was the head of the household in a way that a, a, a king or a lord would be head of their their, their kingdom. He, he had all authority over his, his home. He was the boss of that farm, that estate, whatever it was, he was the head, which meant that everybody submitted to him. He was the one who would sit in his comfy rocking chair or or whatever it is, put it in some context, and people would come to him, they would ask permission to come and they'd ask permission to go and they'd ask permission to do things and he'd say, you go and work in the field. He basically was a king of his own kingdom in that sense. And so when the when the brothers come to him and the younger brother says, give me my inheritance, he is effectively saying to you, you're as good as dead to me. He's saying, that thing that is rightfully mine when you die, that thing that I will inherit when you're dead, my portion of your land and your money and your wealth, I don't want it when you die. I want it right now. You're as good as dead to me right now. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want your stuff how do you think you would respond if somebody came and said that to you? You'd probably give him a right clip round the ear, wouldn't you? <laughs> the father didn't have to do what he did in this story. The father didn't have to say, I will give it to you. The father would have been offended, he would have been hurt, he would have been insulted, he would have been embarrassed. Yet he didn't worry about what it looked like to him. What he saw was a son who was in a desperate need, and wanted to figure out how to do things his own way. And the father was gracious enough to say, even though what you're saying is that I'm as good as dead to you, I'm going to grant you what you've asked for. Now that is an incredible sacrificial act of love right there. Even before anything else has happened, even before we know what the son's going to do with that inheritance, the fact that the father was willing to say, I'm going to let you choose your own path. I've given you everything that you need in life, I've given you life, I'm going to let you choose your own path, what you do with that. How loving is of, of God is that, that he allows each and every one of us to make that choice for ourselves. The father goes on, but because um, both brothers, they receive their inheritance, one chooses to use that inheritance and plows themselves into duty, the older brother who... who really is representing the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this story, he's, who's trying to do everything right. He's trying to do his duty to the Father. who's he's working the fields, and he's, and he's trying to do it. He's trying to please the Father with his good works and trying to do it the right way, as if that would earn him approval from the Father. He doesn't have to earn his approval. The Father loves him. But one son chooses to try and do it through duty. The other chooses freedom. He takes his money... He takes his wealth, he packs everything up. The father doesn't try and stop him. It says, you know, sometime later he took his stuff and he left. The father doesn't try and stop him. He says, okay, if that's your choice, I'm still here, I still love you, I'll always be here for you. But it's your choice. If you want to go and you want to figure out things for yourself, you go for it, son. The father shows his love by letting the things that he loves go. That's hard, right? That's super hard. But that's how loving our Father in heaven is to us. And um, once he's gone, I love the fact that the Father never shuts the door on him being able to come back. Uh, We don't see it in the text, we don't know what was said, but certainly the Son, when he comes to his senses, he knows that he can go back to his Father. He realises and recognises that it's not impossible for him to return now, in this in this scenario, you could imagine the father could easily be, if you want to go and take your stuff and go, you go, but you're as good as dead to me. The father could have said that and would have probably seemed to have been justified in saying that. But the father always leaves the door open for the son to return. His love is unconditional right throughout the story. And uh, sure enough, we, we, we read lots of what the son gets up to and all the mistakes he makes, and he keeps making mistakes, and he makes more mistakes, and he makes more mistakes, and it takes him to rock bottom before he finally goes, Oh, I do have a father who could help me out of this mess that I've created for myself. And so he decides to go back. And uh, one of the things I love most about this story is we know the father is there longingly looking and waiting for his son to return. Now again, imagine the scenario if somebody came to this estate... And they wanted to see the, the father, the head of the household. They would probably be greeted by some servants at the door. They'd probably be saying, I've come. I'd like to have an appointment with with the uh, the head of the household. And, and a servant would go off and, and see if the father was available and if he was willing to, to meet with this person. And if they were, the, the, the father would probably be sitting by the fireplace in his comfy chair. And, and they would invite the person in and the person would come. The father wouldn't do the getting up and the going and the moving around. The father would sit there and people would come. But in this story, that's not what the father's doing. The father isn't lording over his land. The father is at the door, watching and waiting. His son doesn't have to make an appointment to come back. The father is already expectant. The father is already hungry to see him. We don't know how long he was doing this for. We don't know how... It says that the father was already watching and waiting for him. Was he doing that? This is a period of time that's passed, whether it's a season or whether it's years. We don't know. And was the father there every day? We don't know. What we do know is the father's heart was so inclined towards the son that he never forgot him. He never gave up on him. He just constantly watched for him and anticipated his return. Now when the son does return, what kind of reception does he think he's going to get? He thinks he already thinks he's not worthy. He already thinks he's not good enough to come into the father's house. But maybe, just maybe, if he pleads hard enough the father might accept him as a slave, as a servant. The father might take him in, and at least that way he'll be able to work, but he'll have a roof over his head, and he'll have food in his belly, and he'll be able to work hard. And he's not going back expecting to come back as a son. He just thinks that maybe the father would have enough mercy and pity on him, they would have given him at least something that's worth clinging on to. And, and actually, even that was the son was asking, was expecting an awful lot. you imagine the start scenario and we're talking, uh, this. Jesus is telling this story, with, with the religious leaders are there and they're gathered and they know what's right from wrong and they know how to follow the law and they'll be hearing this story and they'll be hearing about what this son has been doing with, uh, with his drunkenness and his partying, and, and we know that the older brother has already found out. He's heard somewhere reports have come in. They know that he's been spending money on prostitutes. So people know what this younger brother has been doing. It's not like he just disappeared and they never heard from him again. Reports have obviously come back that this what this son has been doing with the father's inheritance. And when that son comes back to that town, to that village... When he comes back to that estate, what do you think people would have done to somebody who had broken the law in that way? What was the, what was the right response, religiously thinking, of those townsfolk when they see somebody who's, who's part of the children of God, part of the family of Israel... And they see someone who comes into their town, who's been a drunkard, who's been with prostitutes, who's wasted all their money, who's basically broken all of the commands that they've been asked to do. What's the right response and punishment for that person? Well, it's probably he should be stoned to death. Anybody seeing that son come back to that community would feel justified in picking up their rocks and hurling them at him. And, and acting out the judgment that they thought that he deserved according to the law. And I wonder, when the father sees the son, he's also got this in his mind. The father is not just waiting because he misses him. But the father knows that if this son ever did return, the sort of return that he's going to expect. It's going to be judgment. It's going to be condemnation. And it's going to be death. Hey, guess what? That's what we all deserve, right? When we're honest with ourselves, anyone who's fallen short of the glory of God, that's all of us. And what we deserve when we come face to face with the Father is to be judged for our actions and to be condemned to eternal death. But the Father sees a different way. And the Father says, no, 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 no. I want my son, to be able to return as a son. I want everyone else to know how much I love him. And when he sees, when he's waiting and he's looking for his son, of course he's waiting and longing with open arms. But when he sees him and it says that he ran to the son, do you know what I think part of the reason that he ran was he wanted to be the first person to get to his son before anybody else got to him, before anybody else had a chance to pick up a stone He wanted to be the first one to get to where his son was, to wrap his arms around him, not just as a loving embrace, but as as a protector. And say, this is how I treat my children. Not what you think he deserves, but with the loving arms of a father who cares for his children. How good of God that he would do that to us. They would throw his loving arms around us. And, and more than that, we go on and we see in the story, don't we, he puts a ring on his finger, he puts a robe on his back, he kills the fattened calf, he, just all, he does all the things and all the signs that are basically showing everyone that this person who was a sinner, who was dead, who was as good as dead, has come back and is found and he's returned, not to be condemned, but he's, been, he's returned to be honoured because he's my son and I'm going to give him the rightful place that he deserves, his inheritance, is to be still be my son. That's what God does with every single one of us. When we, when we say yes to God, when we turn away from our, from our sin and we turn away from living our own ways and we come back to God, he doesn't condemn us. But he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I will anoint you, and I will appoint you. You'll be co-heirs with Christ in my kingdom. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve anything that God has bestowed upon us. But he does it because he loves. Because that's who he is. A loving, gracious, wonderful father. Haven't had time to talk about the older brother in this story who's, who's got his own issues with what's going on and doesn't recognize the grace and the love and the mercy that the father is bestowing upon his brother, and, and even in his refusal to, to go into the parties, he's, there's all sorts of judgment and condemn, condemning going on there, which is not right, and not how we're meant to treat uh, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But again, the father shows an incredible act of love and humility in that whilst the party was going on, he chose to get out of his seat, to leave the house and go to the field. This is not what the father is meant to do, remember. This is this is him almost dishonoring himself in his own culture. That the son wouldn't come to the father. That the, the father had to go out to the son. That's incredible. And he goes out and he doesn't condemn and he's not angry and he doesn't judge. But he just gently corrects him. He gently encourages him. And he gently tries to help him see the right way to respond. The father is just as gracious to, to, the, to the rule follower as he is to the rule breaker. But the, the reality is that both brothers have missed the point. One of them is trying to find freedom through wild living. One of them is trying to find freedom and favour through religious duty. But both of them have got it wrong. Because neither of their actions, neither of their works, neither of anything that they will do is going to make the Father love them any less. Nor is it going to make him love them any more. Because it's not what he can give us in terms of inheritance. But it's also, it's not about what we can do for him, is it? It doesn't matter. God's love is unconditional. God's grace is is poured out to us simply because he loves us. We don't deserve it, and yet he gives it freely. And how incredible of of a father is that, that he loves us that way. So what what is Jesus' point here? Why is he telling this story? What is he trying to get the hearers to see? And really, what is it that, that God would want us to see? And it's simply this, that the father is waiting with open arms, Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, regardless of whether you've you've uh, spent a day away from him or whether you've spent a lifetime away from him. Whether you've done some things which the world would consider terrible choices or whether we've just tried to do things in our own strength instead of his strength. It doesn't really matter because the, the loving embrace of the Father is always there to greet us. Whether we identify, maybe as you hear in the story, maybe we do identify, some of us, with the sinners and the the tax collectors. We identify with that younger brother and we know that we've made some difficult or some bad choices along the way. Don't let that hold you back. And don't think that God will judge you any harshly because of what you've done. Because he loves you because he loves you. And it's as simple as that. Maybe we identify with the Pharisees and the and the teachers in the story, and, and like the older brother, we've we've tried to do the right thing and, and we've by doing the right thing got ourselves caught up in religious duty. Don't let that rob you of knowing relationship with the Father. We don't do what we do, we don't serve God and worship God and, and do all that we do because. We owe God anything or God owes us anything. We do it because he's our dad and we love him. And he's far more interested in you as a person. He's far more interested in you as a son as, and as a daughter. He's far more interested in being in relationship with you, close proximity. Come out from the field and into the party and feel that loving embrace. He's far more interested in that than he is anything else. Guys, I just want to encourage you, don't let circumstance, don't let sin, don't let stubbornness, don't let our pride get in the way of coming to the Father in the little things and the big things, in the everyday things, as well as the eternal things. Don't let anything get in the way of you knowing that your Father loves you. God in heaven, who would do anything for you, loves you. With a passion. The story ends with the father saying twice. That my son that was lost is now found. And how true of God's heart is that. That he's willing to do anything. To see his children who were lost. Be found. To the point where He he's willing to even send his own son Jesus. To die on the cross for us. It's an incredible story of love. And so, as I said at the start, I want to end really uh, with just giving us an opportunity to respond in the right way to the love that the Father has for us. When someone comes to greet you and they, they throw their arms open wide, you don't give them a handshake. You accept that loving embrace. God wants to embrace Us this morning. God wants you to know how loved you are, how special you are, and how much He cares for you as an individual. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you're going to do, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but because you're His children. And He just wants to love you. So I want to encourage us to just take some time now to just respond in our own hearts. And say, God, is there any way that I've not allowed your love to be the thing that's guided and directed me? Um, maybe if, the, actually, if the worship band can come up, and I know we're going we're to sing uh, in a moment. Ch- church, would you mind standing? Uh, if that's okay. And I want to just pray for us as a church. You guys are amazing. Uh, you're an incredible church, and, and you do just demonstrate an, a, an incredible warmth and the love that I've felt and received but I do just want to give us space to just listen to our own hearts right now. If there's any area in your life where you have not allowed the Father's love to be the thing that consumes and moves you, then don't let it be a last resort so that you get to a place where you're so stuck that you need to cry out for help.